it's the the uniqueness of of, of skill sets is something I fundamentally embrace, and then that skill set being wrapped up in different personalities is the joy of life. So um, I don't want everybody to be the same. Uh, that's not fun. Number one, and number two, that's not the basis of a successful team. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Capital in Conversation, AMP Capital's internal podcast helping you get to know the people behind the job titles. My name is India Roberts-Smiley, and I'm an employee experience communications consultant. This week, I sat down with Alastair Brew, AMP Capital's global head of investment tech. We spoke about growing up in England, his journey living in London, New York, and now Sydney, the incredible people that make up his team, and what drives him in life and in work. Here's Alistair. Hello, Alistair. How are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, India. Much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you for giving me your time. I'm going to launch straight into my very first question, which is, do you drink coffee or tea and how do you have it? Sure. Um, I'm a cat- categorically a tea drinker. In fact, I have a tea in front of me as we are speaking. That won't be a surprise to any of my team. Um, and... Uh, I think it's really as a direct uh, result of growing up in a family uh, and, a ho- and a household where all our problems and all of our family discussions happen over a cup of tea. Um, and, you know, regardless of what it is, if it's a good occasion or a bad occasion, there is the moment you walk in the door, a shout from the kitchen of cup of tea. Um, <laughs> and that certainly has stayed with me my entire life. So in terms of the types of tea I drink, I drink uh, peppermint I drink uh, green tea that's obviously not what I grew up with Um, so I drink what we refer to now as traditional English breakfast tea or something equivalent I have milk and sorry I have one sugar love it I think there is something super soothing about a cup of tea and it must be said it is a very warm day today so the fact you're drinking a hot cup of tea I think proves that you're a a real tea fan. I'm very impressed. So can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up um, yeah. and what your childhood was like? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in uh, the south of England in a place called Hastings, or when I was growing up there, what we'd refer to as Hastings. We didn't pronounce pronounce H's. Um, so I grew, I grew up, uh, my parents still live in the uh, family house that I was born in. Um, and, uh, you know, lovely, lo- wonderful family, um, wonderful experiences. And uh, I lived in Hastings until 18 uh, when I left to go to university and moved away from, from Hastings. Okay. And what kind, of, what kind of kid were you? Were you super <laughs> interested at school and really book smart or did you like the outdoors more? Um, <laughs> lots of people won't believe this now, but uh, I think I probably was a lot more outsidey until... Really, when I got a bit more serious about my studies, which was uh, in, called it April of 1992, um, up until that point, you know, I was a runner, I played a lot of tennis, I did a lot of cycling, uh, went on long walks, I played golf. Um, academics wasn't where I grew up uh, uh, in the social environment, not the family environment, the social environment I grew up in. Academics and school and things were not really that important to us. Um, and so we spent a lot of time outside, um, and it wasn't until, uh, April of 92 when I started to take my academics a little bit more serious. So I was a, I was an outside person rather than an inside person until that point. Nice. So you 
grew up in England. You are now working in investment tech in Sydney, Australia. How did you get here? Did you study uh, back in England or did you make the move um, make the move early? Um, how did I get here? A lot of luck, uh, without a doubt. Uh, uh, going right away back to school, actually. Um, one of my teachers, a guy called Jim Lingard, uh, who was my economics teacher, he uh, put me forward without me knowing to go off and trial while I was still at school, trial being at university. Um, not many kids from my school went to uni, so he had the decency to do that on my behalf and I got accepted. Um, and so I got kind of quite excited about moving away from home and moving away from Hastings and uh, going to uni. Um, so that's what I subsequently did. I then studied in, uh, I did my undergraduate in London, my master's in London and my, uh, and my PhD uh, just outside of London. Um, and then straight into the, straight into the city. In fact, I was working in the city uh, on a trading floor while I was doing my PhD. Um, and uh, at the end of, uh, at the end of my PhD, just I, I changed companies. I moved from Climate Benson uh, to Barclays Capital, um, and then the rest the rest kind of just shot by. I was I was approached, headhunted to move to New York to build a company in New York um, uh, to do with hedge funds. That's back in '92, uh, sorry 2002, um, and spent nine and a half years running setting our business up and running it. Um, and somewhere along the line, moved back to so I moved to New York, commuted between New York and London, then moved back to London, and then moved to Australia, ran the company from here, but spent half the year overseas uh, until I stopped in 2011. So, um, and it made made Sydney permanently my home ever since. Uh, so it's uh, been quite a journey, let me put it that way. But a lot of luck, a lot of luck along the way, being in the right place at the right time. Sounds like a very interesting journey. What are the differences? I mean, so you've lived in now London, New York, and Sydney. What do you think are the differences between lifestyle in those three cities? Oh, good one. Um, New York. Uh, uh, I wasn't somebody who enjoyed New York, uh, even though I spent, you know, the majority of my my first part, as I think about it, the first part of my career was either there, working there, living there, and or work only working with people who lived there and London and Bermuda. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found New York made me very lazy because obviously as everybody knows, New York, you can do anything you want, whenever you want. And so as a result, you you, you don't cook. Uh, I was amazed by that. Uh, you don't cook, you eat out a lot, you know, you have people to do everything. Um, uh, and so that's, that's to me quite a big difference um, to the lifestyle obviously I have here where, you know, it's not unknown for me to cook. Um, the, the speed of life uh, is obviously quite different. Um, London and New York are actually, I would say, relatively similar, especially in the kind of work that, in the work that I do or did. Um, but uh, I think there's a much greater balance um, here in Sydney um, and out of all of the places that I've either lived for a period of time or lived for shorter periods of time. I mean, Sydney would definitely be, definitely be my preference. Okay, awesome. Uh, what did you do your PhD in? Um, I did it in applied in theoretical econometrics, uh, which is basically <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, well, I did. I did kind of traditional research. Uh, but I also did theoretical work as well. Um, and that was all around, you know, it's it's kind of the use of maths. It's the use of statistics, uh, pretty advanced statistics, the use of data, analyzing problems, 
um, you know, really learning what scientific research is uh, and how that is used to solve problems or find opportunities. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's something I'm very passionate about, not necessarily the subject, but the discipline of solving problems. Um, mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, get some data and do some stuff with it. It's actually, okay, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And, and you know, for anybody who's done a PhD, they'll, they'll, they'll probably relate to this in the sense that you spend the first year, year and a half, trying to work out what the question is you're going to answer. <laughs> and then yeah. you spend the next year and a half to two years actually answering it. Um, wow. And that's that's so true about many of the things that I've done in uh, the way that I've, I've approached my career is really, really work out what the problem is or what the opportunity is or what the question is. Um, only then do I feel that we can actually do something about it. Um, but uh, look, I did, uh, I'll be honest, I did my doctorate because it was something I was lucky enough to get scholared for my master's and then I got scholared for my PhD and it was, I promised myself if I came top on my master's uh, and which I did, um, that I would go on and see how good I could be at it. And I got a lot of encouragement from, from my professors and a number of universities in the UK. And so it was like, look, why not? Um, let's go on and do it. Uh, see how far we can push it yeah yeah and then the reality of what I really wanted to do which was get into industry hit me literally within a week of being on my um, on uh, at the college uh, doing my PhD when a, a person who became a very dear friend walked in um, and he had built one of the most successful investment risk platforms in the world um, to this day and uh, he had never been educated he was a gentleman in his 50s um, highly successful very very rich and decided he was going to go and learn um, and we became friends and I became his tutor for the best part of a year and at the end of it he said you've got to get out of academia as quickly as you can you need to get to industry and so that's what I did I got out of academia really really quite quickly after that Sounds like you've had some very interesting and influential sort of professors and teachers and people in your life. Yeah, yeah sounds incredible. So you are currently AP Capital's head of or global head of investment technology. In a couple of sentences, can you describe to me, I suppose, um, what you're responsible for delivering in this current role? Yeah, sure. Um, we're still working out exactly what it is um and i think that's pretty much the you know in terms of the culture and nature of the work that we do it's 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 not easily defined and it continually evolves um so it's you know sitting down and doing tasks and things uh isn't what we do but if i think about it really at a very high level in in two senses it's how do we how do we free our people up which is ultimately the creative resource that we have in a business, the, the most productive resource and the most valued resource. How do we free people up to focus on what they should be focused on or not necessarily just should be focused on and where we can individually and collectively get the greatest value and greatest impact from each of us as, as individuals. Um, and so how do, we, how do we make production or the doing of stuff better um, is, is one aspect. So how do we become more efficient? And how do we do that? Not just to be more efficient, but how do we do it more accurately? How do we do it more sustainably? How do we do it more frequently? How do we do it um, uh, so that people really can trust the results that are being produced or the analytics or the reports or whatever, whatever is actually being produced? So how do we just make that entire environment better? Um, you know, I, I, I really feel for anybody who has to spend vast amounts of time producing stuff. 
Um, so how do we, on an individual and collective basis, how do we really take that off people, show and, and give them the final outcome so that they can then use their smarts and their individuality to, to look at what there is and build their own knowledge. And from that knowledge, you know, we can hopefully uh, uh, make better decisions and from better decisions we can hopefully get better outcomes so there's that I kind of think of that first component as efficiency and, mm -hmm. and realigning how uh, we should take our, our our most powerful resource people and really get to the point where we can leverage them and give them a, a, a really great experience of, of what they do um, and I think people like to do interesting things and so I think I think it also in, increases that whole workplace experience and career experience. Mm -hmm. So that's part one of it. Um, and, this, and so that, that's the efficiency piece as such. The second is how do we actually identify the true questions that will impact our business and impact the decisions we make to run our business or the decisions we make that will impact the way that we manage risk for a client or how we allocate risk within a portfolio or how we make decisions as an investment team. Maybe that's investment scores. What's the efficacy? I, you know, do the scores that we actually or our investment teams come out with, are they actually related to the actual outcomes that then subsequently occur? How do we bring all of that information together? How do we create new information? Um, how do we join it all up um, so that we are not just flooding people with this notion of data or this notion of reporting, but we can actually deliver it in a way where people see things they previously hadn't seen or they learn something they didn't previously know, or it forces a discussion. And that is where we start moving from just the notion of data to the notion of, okay, we can create information. And we've got to create information that's relevant, so that's answering the relevant questions. But how do we create that information and then uh, uh, distribute that to, to all of our individuals across the business or the people who we currently, who, that we may be working with, um, so that their knowledge, the probability of their knowledge increasing goes up. Mm -hmm. And so I think of that really as information and knowledge build i think many might refer to that as how do we create insights we just don't use that sort of language in what we do but it's so the first part is about efficiency so that we can get people to really focus on their, their powerful value add um and free them up from tasks that they perhaps are not so enjoyable and then the second part is how do we actually move from that and actually create information create knowledge, distribute that information, distribute that knowledge so that people uh, can make more consistent decisions or better decisions that ultimately lead to better outcomes. Okay. So as you can see, it has actually nothing really to do with data or technology or visuals or analytics or any of that. It's actually totally. all to do with people and it's all to do with questions. Exactly right. And asking the right questions. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, it's a great job to have to be able to free humans up from the mundane tasks that they don't want to do so that they can use their sort of creative power and ideas on something else is something I feel like would be very welcomed. What is the biggest challenge that you face or that you and the team face? Yeah, look, um, I think there's multiple ones, um, but they're all normal reactions to doing things a different way. Um, uh, when we're used, when we're comfortable doing things producing things a certain way because we've always done it that way 
because we were told to do it that way. Um, and we inherited that from somebody who's moved on and been more successful. So clearly it's the right thing to do. Um, and I think, you know, showing people that, hey, maybe there is a different way to think about this. Um, uh, and don't necessarily worry about how we do it. Let's try and figure out what we're actually after. So you've got, you know, I, I remember in the early day, days working with people like uh, James Major and and uh, Giuseppe, um, mm -hmm. and you know the 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 time that some of their teams spent on producing really critical pieces of information and, and critical reports, and you know we started working with them and. Uh, they they asked if we could somehow improve that, and we said yes. And and um, you know, weekly reports suddenly became daily reports that took no time at all, and were available first thing in the morning, and weren't distributed via a spreadsheet, um, and had tons and tons and t hundreds and thousands times more analytic analytics than they could otherwise have done. So you know, trying to convince people, don't worry about how we're going to do it, don't worry about how we will solution it. Tell us what your vision is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's always, you know, most people are when they're trying to be trying to think about what they want, that typically it's a human reaction. Typically, you're going to be anchored on what you have today. And we try and encourage everybody, don't be anchored on what we have today. Anchor yourself on what's needed on, in the future and then let us work out how we get there. Um, so that's that's a big challenge. Super interesting. And so can you tell me a little bit about your team and the kinds of personalities or the kinds of people that you have in your team or that make up the Cortex yeah. investment tech team? Yeah, sure. Um, I think firstly, it's uniqueness in terms of the personalities and the skill sets and the backgrounds and the individuality of everybody. Um, that's been a deep passion of mine going back for, for almost 20 years now. Um, you know, accepting people for who they are uh, and recognizing that talent can be found in different places uh, and talent isn't wrapped up the same all the, all the time. Um, I think that's really important. So if I think about the team um, and categorizing people is something I'm not a big fan of, but it, for the purpose of this, I think it's important. Um, so we have people with very different industry backgrounds. We have people with very academic, different academic backgrounds. We have people who've worked in a call center. We've got a gamer. We've got someone who was a medical doctor, somebody who's really strong in maths. We've got people who've studied uh, commerce, studied technology, um, just, wow. just very different kind of perspective in that case, in, in, in that dimension. Um, uh, sad to say that the eldest person in the team is twice the age of the youngest person in the team. Um, and I won't say who either of those people are. Um, uh, you know, we, we really focus on how do we bring unique skills into the team that we feel that we know how collectively we can apply that to problem solving um, and to solutioning or to coming up with new opportunities. Um, and so some of it will be untested. So, um, so you know, whether it's bringing in a gamer who's never worked in investment management and possibly knows not very much about what we do, mm. but the skill set is so crucial because that individual fully understands how uh, people want to uh, want to uh, integrate or want to connect with screens. Right? I mean, 
I, yeah. I, I, there's a great connection there. And, and part of information, tra- uh, moving from information to knowledge, in our opinion, really involves that whole user experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, 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 that's important. Um, look, we have people who are obviously highly visual in that sense. We have people who are highly creative. We have others that are deeply analytical, um, really deep thinkers. Uh, we have uh, a bias, uh, if I had to roughly guess, 30 to 40 percent, well, definitely 30 percent, sorry, definitely around 30 to 40 uh, percent would be extrovert, um, extreme extroverts. The rest are, are introverts, and we find that we, 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 we monitor that balance. That's really important to us. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, having too as uh, having too many people like me on the team will get nothing done, um, and that's that's just true. So, you know, how do we balance against all of these different dimensions? Um, we have those that love the detail, love, love, love the detail. We have those that don't, and we have people in between. Um, we have people who love communicating using words. We have others that love commute, communicating using pictures. We have others that love communicating using uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how do we bring all of that together? Um, uh, we have a mix of people from different countries, different cultures. We are, in terms of, again, don't really like the terminology direct reports, but in terms of direct reports, we've got 50-50 split between men and women. Um, that's something that's deeply important to us as a team. Um, and so really just uh, just how do we build a multidiscipline diverse team um, where we uh, our responsibility is to ensure that each individual on the team has the environment to be the very best that they are, that they are the ones that can turn up to work and be themselves, um, because we all want that, including me. So for me to be included, um, I have to make sure that I include everybody else. Um, and that's kind of the deal we have with each other. Um, so some people don't like meetings, so they don't attend meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people don't want to switch their cameras on when we're chatting that's okay. Uh, that's yeah. just, you know, just really understand the individual and the individual needs. Um, we, we hire talented people, so I'm never worried about solving the problems. We're, mm. you know, we're not trying to land on Mars at this stage. Um, <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's what we do. I, I have great confidence. And so after that is about how do you actually really get this, get the team to, to work as a single unit yeah. and, and bring everything, all the ideas to work each day um so that we can always be advancing what we're doing i mean that was my next question it sounds like you have such incredible incredibly diverse team with incredible amount of um expertise how do you work together in terms of the logistics of meetings and things like that are you as a team do you sort of work alongside each other and communicate with each other quite regularly or is it something where everyone sort of goes away scrolls away and does their work and then you come together periodically and share share progress and come together that way again a combination a combination of all the above um so it depends on what component of what we're doing so one of the things we do when we when we bring people onto the team we look for complementary but try complementary skills but we try and minimize the overlap because while there's a belief that competition on teams is actually really really good and it's all about the individual success as we've seen many times before in many um, in many team-based environments, especially the sport analogies are not great for investment management because they're totally different things. But, you know, we've seen the greatest sports people in teams and they've been defeated by inferior 
in, in individual talent, but as a team, that in, inferior individual talent has been better because the team's better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, what we try and do, as I say, is bring in complementary talent and, and experience that will benefit the whole of what we're trying to do. And what's really important from that cultural perspective is that the focus is on the success and output of the team and the people that we work with. And our individual success will come from that success. Uh, and that's and that's certainly how we see it. So um, we try and minimize that overlap, but then set up so that people can work very complementary to each other. If we're working on ideation, maybe two, three, four of us in the team would work on that. That's where we're designing a new idea for something. Um, We might be wireframing it. We might be actually working through the analytics and what it might look like. That's usually, say, three to four of us to begin with. Um, That's then slowly being disseminated to individuals in the team that have highly technical skills. And they're now having a look at it and saying, okay, yeah, yeah, know how to do this or Okay, we're going to have to come up with an entire new end-to-end engineering process to be able to do that, to which my response will always be, so, okay, let's do that. <laughs> um, you know, don't give me an excuse because we can solve it. Um, yeah. And But we do come together as a team to do show-and-tells, um, but that's as much about, you know, celebrating the different uh, contributions that everybody makes in the team and and making yeah. sure we are all across it um and you know we all find it fun we all, you know we, we get together and have a laugh obviously all of this is virtual in in today's world mm-hmm. um but we also have lots of one-on-one meetings um but there's a there's a significant use of things like slack to communicate across the team um you know there's discussions I'm being pinged by some people at the moment on the team. Uh, <laughs> we're doing this recording, so they're trying to distract me. Um, and uh, you know, so there's there's lots of ways that different people communicate, and mm-hmm. we embrace we embrace all of that. Um, uh, so I may touch point, let's uh, touch touch base, let's say with Tom uh, Tom Sturman. I might touch base with him face to face by video, anything between zero and ten times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will be others on the team that I may not have a video call with for weeks on end uh, yeah. one on one on one one on one um mm-hmm. because it's not what they want yeah and that and everyone's is so different and that's right that's what uh one of one of the original founding members said to me i don't do meetings and <laughs> i said and that was right back in the early days right um and uh i said that's fine we'll never invite you to a meeting then <laughs> that he was happy yeah yeah uh, whereas, you know, the correct thing supposedly would have been to say, sorry, you have to be at this yeah. meeting, you have to come yeah. and present. Now, it's the, the uniqueness of, of, of skill sets is something I fundamentally embrace. And then that skill set being wrapped up in different personalities is the joy of life. So um, I don't want everybody to be the same. Uh, that's not fun, number one. And number two, that's not the basis of a successful team. Absolutely. Finding a way that works for you and allowing people to work in a way that works for them. I mean, it feels like you've got a lot going on in your head and I can only imagine how busy you are. What do you do to de-stress outside of work? What do you do to switch off? Uh, I, I, I think there is always a lot going on in my head. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things we've had to do as a team is make sure that not everybody is continuously pinged with new ideas that I, that I, that I have or whatever. Um, but also I'm accepted for that. So... Happy days. Um, what do I do to? I don't really get stressed. Um, I get tired uh, because obviously I'm hyper, so I get tired. Um, and so, and 
I have to also take time out so that all the things going on in my head actually don't get totally overwhelming and, and, and blurry as such. Um, so what do I do around that? Um, I, uh, I, especially over the last six months, have tried to do a lot more walking. Um, I live luckily surrounded by trees and the water and stuff. And so getting out, uh, especially given the environment that we've all been living in, getting out and being around nature and being around, uh, being able to look out over the water or listen to the birds in the trees and stuff. Um, that's, that's just important. We all know there's research that proves it's important. So I'm going to accept the, the scientific research that says it's important and I'm going to benefit from that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's not because I like the sound of the birds that come and wake me up every day out the back of my house. Um, the other thing is, is I, um, I've always been a fan of very fast, very hard dance music. Um, and wow. I find it very comforting. And I find that even though it probably stresses 99% of the world out, it actually really helps relax me. It zones me out. And so when I go on these long walks, I walk fast uh and i listen to my music and i listen to it very loud um and you know 10 15 k's into a walk i would be um pretty much zoned out and i will get back my mind will be very clear um and i'll get back back to doing what i do uh so that's that's one of the one, uh, that's one of the key things for me uh that i that i do um also just make a job my, I, I have two amazing daughters and I, they don't um, live with me. So when I, especially over the last uh, period, obviously making sure that I concentrate on them when they are with me. Um, it brings me great joy watching them grow, watching them, you know, go on their journeys in life. And I will, you know, uh, uh, focusing on that and uh, freeing my mind up just to spend time, you know, teaching, teaching my elder daughter, who's now 12, how to, how to, uh, cheat at Monopoly, um, but she doesn't really need my help at that. Um, you know, just making sure I find time for friends and family, uh, I think is really important as well. Um, and uh, those are, those, those are, to be honest, the main things. There are lots of little things I do. I've certainly changed my diet since we come into lockdown. Um, I'm not saying it's significantly better relative to one or two members of our team who take <laughs> diet rather seriously. Um, but it's certainly improved. Uh, and I would like to say I get more sleep, but that's not true. Um, uh, and, you know, just just trying to be just learning to be adaptive and realize that when things are thrown at us, um, yes, for many of us, the response will be to to fight or, or, or to run. But actually go, OK, hold up a second. You know, is this going to what, what are the other options here? Um, is it something I can control? Is it something I can influence? Is it something I need to? Uh, or can I just, you know, I can't deal with a hundred things, can't, can't influence a hundred things. So what are the, what are really the key things we, we as individuals in our lives are going to focus on? And I spend time, a lot of time on that each day. What, what is it I'm going to do today? How am I going to use my time today? Super interesting. Um, so the, when you listen to music, I'm interested in this part. So I imagine it's like, is it sort of techno or like EDM kind of really fast paced music? Hard, hard, hardcore UK rave music, yeah. Okay. And has this always been something that sort of relaxes you and allows your brain to switch off since you were younger? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and you I got to feel your brain sort of just absolutely. untangling and relaxing. Absolutely. 
Uh, and it take, but it takes time. It does take time. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking to to Simon, uh, to Simon Warner earlier, uh, yeah, earlier this week about it, and uh, you know, it's um, it takes to really unwind for me. It takes about two hours ish, um, and so I get the alerts on the phone that say I'm listening to the music too loud and stuff. So I do have to be cautious of that. Um, but yeah, just it's well, I come, I, I, I come home and I'm totally zoned out. Um, and my mind is clear, uh, and I feel fantastic about it. Um, but yeah, from a very, well, not from a very young age. I mean, I, I started, started, you know, enjoying that, that sort of music. Um, yeah, uh, probably 30 years ago, uh, just as it was really coming onto the scene. Um, and it's saying that started just stuck with me all my life. I also like opera music, but. Uh, <laughs> Two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, I have some final questions for you, Alastair. Um, my first one is, what advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> Can be related to work or to life in general. Yeah, I think just be yourself. I, I, I've seen too many people fight who they are as individuals, um, and they didn't need to, and that that can't be great. Um, so, yeah, just just be yourself. Awesome. Uh, I, think I think that's important. And my very last question, which I ask to every guest, um, is what does success look like to you? Um, I thought this was, I, I thought this would be a really easy thing to define. However, as I look back on life and career, one of the first questions I was asked when I um, moved to New York in 2002 was um, what does success look like? And I remember there was an individual called David Janicki, who was a very senior member of staff in the firm I just joined. And he was going to be one of my uh, official mentors. I, I have lots of unofficial mentors, but he was, in fact, my first and I think only official mentor. And he asked me that question and I said, I'll come back next week with the answer. And as I walked out, he goes, you'll never answer the question. So spend the rest of your life trying to answer it. Um, and I, and at the time I never understood, I was just, was like, oh, whatever, I'd have the answer by next week. And then, you know, a key part of his mentoring to me was more around that, about personal satisfaction, about personal life and what is it you're actually trying to achieve. So I think it's a, I think it's a phenomenal discussion for several bottles of wine, because I don't <laughs> think there is an answer and there clearly isn't one for each. There isn't a common definition of success for anybody. Um, and I think the definition of success for each of us, and certainly for me, has changed through different stages of my life and different, different stages of my career. And I think that's probably pretty normal. Um, so if I really boiled it down to now in terms of, you know, life and everything else, uh, what is it that I am, I suspect everybody, they want to be happy. They want to have a good life, whatever that means. But a lot of that goes again back to happiness, wellness and things like that. So, you know, without trying to be too deep and meaningful, uh, I would say that I would in where I am in my life now. Um, I'm not saying this was always the case, but where I am in my life now, success is ultimately defined to me as my personal happiness and the happiness that I can bring to others. And that to me is the ultimate success. I think you've nailed it. Um, I'm going to wrap it up there. 
I think we've probably talked enough, even though I could probably continue on, but I will give you some of your evening back. <laughs> thank, you um, thank you so much. I can imagine you have so much on your plate. So I really appreciate you just taking oh, the time to have a chat. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed learning a little bit more about um, about you and the inner workings of your mind. So thank you so much, Alistair, and I'm sure I'll bump into you back when we're in the office back in the day. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you very much for asking me to do this. It's been a lot of fun and uh, thanks for allowing me to share some what goes on in my head and what goes on in our team and, and our passion or my passion as well as the team's passion for what we do. So thank you for that. It's very much appreciated. That's been awesome to hear about. All right. I'll catch you later. See ya. Sure. See you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Capital and Conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. Keep an eye out on the Capital and Conversation workplace page for more episodes as they're released. And if there's anyone you'd like to particularly hear from, leave a comment and we'll make it happen.